to Credo, with me, Father Andrew Eburn, to the podcast journeying through the various articles of the Creed, the fundamental statement of our Catholic faith. This week's article, uh, rather appropriate for a new year, is the resurrection. And this is what the Creed says, what we proclaim. And rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Jesus and the Resurrection. Well, I think perhaps the simplest place to start with this is where we left off last week, in the podcast devoted to the subject of Jesus and death. And now this really is a simple starting point, but do bear with me. The resurrection is only possible because Jesus is dead. I'm recording this episode as it happens in the days after Christmas. And I've been reminded in these past few days of that wonderful book by Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, which I'm sure you all know, the story of Scrooge and the ghost of Christmas past, present and future, which really is, when you think about it, a resurrection story about Scrooge rising miraculously to new life, a new life in place of the old one, which was going to be following in the chained footsteps of Jacob Marley, his recently deceased partner in the first ghost that comes to visit Scrooge. And in fact, A Christmas Carol starts with these very words, Marley was dead to begin with. Now, Dickens starts with these words because it's important to know. What happens in the story thereafter only makes sense if Marley is definitely dead. And so Marley's apparently inevitable fate is the one that Scrooge is trying to avoid for the rest of the story. Now there's something similar going on in the scriptural account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Clearly the resurrection only makes sense if Jesus is actually dead. And though that might seem, as I say, an excessively simple observation, there have been people down the ages who have claimed that Jesus did not die on the cross and that the resurrection therefore did not take place just as there have been people down the ages, perhaps more so in our own age, who have claimed that Jesus never existed at all. So it's worth saying here that Jesus Christ is a very well-attested historical figure. There is nothing fabulous, in the old sense of the word, nothing fabulous or mythical about the fact of his existence. There are in fact plenty of non-Christian references to Jesus as an historical figure. So just to give a couple of examples, the Jewish historian Josephus, who was born about the time of the crucifixion, mentions Jesus and his history of the Jewish people. Then there's also the Roman historian and politician Tacitus, who was born about 25 years after the crucifixion. Tacitus was an important politician, a Roman consul and governor, as well as being a writer, and he recorded that Jesus was executed whilst Pontius Pilate was the Roman prefect in charge of Judea in the years AD 26-36, and whilst Tiberius was emperor in the years uh, AD 14-37. So there's really no question that in the early first century, Jesus Christ lived and died. The much more important and much more interesting question is not whether Jesus Christ lived and died, but whether Jesus Christ died and lived. Well, there are, of course, witnesses to the resurrection, and by this I mean the disciples, 
Uh, you are my witnesses, says, in fact, the risen Christ to the disciples. And that was the mark of the inner circle, if you like, of the disciples and Jesus' closest followers. As St. Paul says, on behalf of them all, in his letter to the Thessalonians, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. But why did they believe? We do need to focus on this because it wasn't mass hysteria or hallucination or indoctrination, etc., etc. In fact, it was the response of men and women who, by and large, were predisposed not to believe at all. Mary Magdalene, the first to encounter the risen Christ, does not believe it is him. And when she realises who it is and goes to tell the other disciples, uh, as the Gospel of St Mark tells us, they didn't believe her either. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept, but when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. She doesn't believe it's him at first, and neither do they. Uh, likewise, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, likewise St. Thomas. I mean, I do feel for St. Thomas, his nickname, Doubting Thomas, but surely the nickname applies to all of them. They are all of them doubting disciples, men and women, who, as I say, are predisposed not to believe. And partly this is surely a consequence of their experience of Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, they, are, they have been psychologically crushed. They are afraid, terrified, they are in the grip of despair. The Catechism actually describes this rather well. This is paragraph 643, if you want to look it up. The Catechism says, Far from showing us a community seized by a mystical exaltation, the Gospels present us with disciples demoralized, looking sad and frightened. The resurrection was not the consequence of the Apostles' faith, or of some lesser version of faith, some kind of communal hallucination or brainwashing. Rather, it was the other way round. Their faith, the faith of the disciples, was a consequence of their experience. Their faith in the resurrection, and again the Catechism talks about this, was the consequence of their direct experience of the reality of the risen Christ. Now you see this predisposition not to believe are in the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And this episode of the road to Emmaus also happily highlights the second half of this week's article, which says Jesus rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The road to Emmaus is all about the scriptural prophecies of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have the two disciples, Cleopas and another, looking sad saying to the stranger they walk with, we had hoped that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel, hopes that are now obliterated. And they get a proper telling off from Jesus. Well, they get two things. They get a telling off, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe, he says. And secondly, they get a little lecture or a tutorial. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I say a little lecture, but this is a considerable span of scripture, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. And when we think that Emmaus is seven miles from Jerusalem, this could have been a two-hour lecture or tutorial. And what did he say? What did Jesus talk about on the road to Emmaus? Wouldn't you like to know? 
Wouldn't you love to be, well, not a fly on the wall because they're walking in open country, but a fly on the shoulder or whatever, to overhear what Jesus talks about? Well, we can make a stab at working it out, both from the clue given by St. Luke, Moses and all the prophets, and from what Jesus speaks of elsewhere in the Gospel. So let's start with St. Luke's clue, Moses and all the prophets. Well, Moses is shorthand for something from the first five books of the Bible, which Jewish tradition said were written by Moses. So best candidate, probably the book of Genesis, which Jesus directly quotes elsewhere, and in Genesis, the account of Abraham, who again figures in the preaching of Jesus elsewhere, and probably the account of Abraham offering his only son to be sacrificed, but the son being redeemed and rising, rising on the third day, as the book of Genesis says, from the sacrificial altar to new life. In fact, there's an awful lot in the Old Testament that points towards the cross and the resurrection, certainly enough for a two-hour walk. But in the prophets that Jesus mentioned, we could add the prophet Zechariah, who says, They shall look on him whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him. Or the prophet Hosea, who talks about being raised up on the third day. And in fact, Jesus quotes from this very passage in Hosea when he tells the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That passage includes the the, the rising on the third day bit. And then perhaps finally we could add the story of Jonah. Again, directly quoted by Jesus in his preaching. In fact, I think the one time Jesus explicitly refers to his resurrection through citing scripture. So Jesus says, As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And now if you read the book of Jonah, it is, in fact, a resurrection narrative. Jonah is described as though dying. He prays to God from Sheol, which is the realm of the dead. And when he is vomited up by the whale after three days, he is symbolically resurrected by God, using actually the same word that Jesus uses when he brings the little girl back to life in the Gospels, Talitha Kum. And he then, Jonah then, and this is why Jonah is actually a really important book in the Bible, a book that Jesus, as I say, preached on, a book it's worth paying attention to. Jonah then rises, and what does he do? He witnesses to the Lord. Rising to new life, he goes out and witnesses to the Lord. So Jonah is not only a prototype of Jesus himself, he is a prototype of the disciples of the disciples in every age, in fact, who are called to new life in Christ and called to witness in the world to him. The Catechism makes a really important point, actually, about the resurrection and the disciples' response to it. In fact, an absolutely central point, which is brilliantly simple, this is the point. Jesus in the resurrection does not reveal himself to the world. He reveals himself to the disciples. So let me say that again. Jesus in the resurrection does not reveal himself to the world. He reveals himself to the disciples. So it is then 
the job of the disciples to reveal Jesus to the world. This is the basis of the first apostolic preaching, the preaching of Peter of the day of Pentecost. Peter says, God raised Jesus from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. So there you have the job of the disciple. It is, in a way, the only job of the disciple to be the witness of the risen Christ to the people. This is my job. This is your job. I said earlier that this was the mark of that inner circle of disciples and followers of Christ, to be witnesses to the risen Christ. But are we not, in truth, you and I, are we not all now part of that inner circle? That inner circle of the friends of Jesus Christ, accompanying him and accompanied by him, called to witness to the world, to his life and to his resurrection. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Uh, Do join me again next week for the next episode and the next article of the Creed. May God bless you all, and may he specially bless that journey of discovery we make together into the beauties of the Catholic faith. Amen.